0: Introduction Rise of the Mongols They were composed of many races from the East, mainly Mongols, but others including the Kurates, Turks, Uyghurs, Nimans, Tartars. This last word caught the imagination of Christian authors, who added an extra letter to allude to hell itself. These unstoppable hordes of warriors were now often called Tartars, demons from Tartarus, vengeful terror, unleashed upon a sinful world. In 1260, Pope Alexander IV issued a proclamation to all civilized nations. There rings in the ears of all a terrible trumpet of dire forewarning, which proclaims with so unmistakable a sound the wards of universal destruction, wherewith the scourge of heaven's wrath, in the hands of the inhuman tartars erupting as it were from the secret confines of hell oppresses and crushes the earth the pope had reason to be afraid the mongol advances in eastern europe were redolent of the conquests of attila the hun or the visigoths of antiquity mongol savagery was widely known entire cities had perished at their hands after refusing to surrender the speed of their advances was astounding their ability to integrate vassal populations turned them into an ever-growing, ever-more-dangerous enemy, sure to descend upon Europe at any moment. In fact, at the time that Alexander wrote his call to arms, the Mongol world was changing forever. Temujin, the Genghis Khan, had been dead for 33 years. The hordes that ravaged Poland, Hungary and Bulgaria were the last flotsam of the tide of invasion. Temujin's grandchildren were arguing about the future of the Mongols, and Europe was not on the top of their agenda. In the Middle East, one grandson, Hulagu, was invading Persia, while another, Batu, sighed a son who would convert to Islam and avenge this deed by turning on his own. Meanwhile, in Mongolia itself, another grandson, Arik Böke, Arik the Strong, favoured the old ways, living on the wide grasslands and occasionally stealing whatever the Mongols might need from the rest of the world. His 45-year-old brother, Kubilai, was more interested in an eastward-directed empire, the adoption of elements of Chinese culture and society, and the transformation of the Mongols. Either of them might present a threat to Europe in the future, but for the moment they were a far greater danger to each other. Ultimately, Kubilai would become the Khan, leader of all the descendants of Temujin. The Mongol drive westwards slowly faded, while inquisitive missionaries from Europe headed east, wondering with relentless optimism whether they might convert the Mongols to Christianity. Temujin, leader of the Mongols, better known by his title of Great Leader or Genghis Khan, had been far from impressed with his new grandson Kublai. A good Mongol child, as far as Temujin was concerned, needed to take after his father. All our children are of a ruddy complexion, said Temujin in 1215, but this child is swarthy like his maternal uncles. True to his background as a herder, Temujin thought that the new arrival merely required the right sort of milk. He ordered Kublai's mother, Sorgaktani, to make sure that her son found a good wet nurse, taking the hint she picked a heavily pregnant woman of the Naiman people, a Turkish step-race sure to impress the crotchety grandfather with their similarity to hearty Mongol folk. The story of the baby Kublai is the oldest tale about him and he's followed in the historical record by almost two decades of silence. Understandably, nobody took much interest in the childhood and teenage years of yet another Mongol princeling, one of many dozens, born to Temujin's unruly brood of sons. In later life, he would be blessed with two superb storytellers who would record many anecdotes from his life. The first, the source of the above story, is Rashid al-Din, the Persian author whose compendium of Chronicles is one of the great works of Middle Eastern history. The other was a man who may have once met Rashid, but who would later write his own account of Kublai's realm, Marco Polo whose description of the world has fascinated readers for centuries. Kublai appears in many other places. The history of the Yuan, the chronicle of the dynasty he founded in China, includes many quotes and decrees. Similar annals in Japan, Anam, which is Vietnam, and Korea also recall the acts of Kublai where relevant to those countries. To put together a history of Kublai himself, we must use all of these documents and more.